Particular movie in her film canon. With me, as always, are my co-host Bob Shields. Hello. And Robin Elaine Hitchcock. Hello. And today we are reviewing Last Face. The, the Last, Last Face. Face. Ah, I forgot the article. The Last Face, a 2017-ish ish film starring our girl Charlize and Javier Bardem, directed by Sean Penn. Oh. It was <laughs> Filmed at Cannes last year, and you may it premiered. Premiered, yeah, because it was filmed in Not Cape filmed, Town. Yeah. It was filmed in Cape Town in 2014 while I lived there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay, <laughs> uh, you may have never heard of this movie, and if you did hear of it, you may have heard that it was pretty universally panned as atrociously because bad. It is. Well, let's get to our one sound review. <laughs> I'm going to go into the other room for a moment. Okay. <laughs> Bear in mind, someone's sleeping in the house. Oh man. <laughs> Well then, imagine a primal scream. <laughs> I will approximate it quietly. <laughs> That's what I've got, guys. Okay. I don't know what that means, but let's get into it. Okay. I hope the noise cancellation lets you keep that in. We'll, might, find out. we'll find out. Otherwise, we'll just describe it. She exhaled and clicked her tongue. Let's begin with the title card. Yeah, I think it's really important that we spend a lot of time on the title card. The movie opens with a map of Africa with two sections highlighted in red. And I don't know if you guys know this, but red typically means bad things in films and shitty theater. Robin, would you like to read for us the title yes. cards? All right. When I pause, that means that the words are now appearing on the screen. So they're like separate right. ones. Okay. So it starts with a big long one. Ten years apart, the Liberian Civil War of 2003 and the ongoing conflict within South Sudan today share a singular brutality of corrupted innocence. A corruption of innocence only known to the West by any remotely common degree through the brutality of an impossible love shared by a man and a woman. So if I had control over my own life and was not dedicated to this podcast, I could have stopped right there because I already know that this movie is wrong. What, Fundamentally. What does that even... Okay, so like, yeah, what does, what it, does mean? it mean? It sounds like it was written by predictive text. Yes, it doesn't mean anything. I think what it's trying to say is these are particularly brutal wars, and if you live in the West... You have no possible connection to what's happening unless we contextualize it through a romance of two Westerners. That's the only so way that you like could have any understanding. why this movie is as awful as it is. But also, these aren't real people. Right? No. It's not based on anything. No. So it's, it, it sounds like, well, the only way that we know about this 
conflict is through these two people, but they're not real people. And then furthermore, this movie does a terrible job of illustrating these conflicts or dealing with them in any meaningful way. So let's get to a, a brief talk about the plot. Briefest of brief. Sure. <laughs> There's not much to talk about. Yeah, exactly. barely a plot. So Charlize Theron plays a South African, and I don't know why they chose that. She is South African. But girlfriend cannot do a South African accent. <laughs> it's like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It sounds very New Zealandish. She's trying. She first of all, it seems like Charlize is just not great at accents, and I feel you, sister. Like yeah. neither am I. She I she thought... goes back into American all the time. Okay, uh, she reminded me of how my stepmother speaks, and she is South African who've lived who's lived in America for many many years. Where's your stepmother from? Outside of Cape Town. Okay, so I guess that that's what she was approximating. I thought that because she was speaking Afrikaans, does Marguerite speak Afrikaans? She does not. She's right. British South African. So that's the thing, is that she is attempting a white British woman's, or, you know, uh, descended from the British. Correct. Western Cape accent. But this character lives in the wine country, or grew up in the wine country, sort of, and speaks Afrikaans. So she's using the wrong accent. It's like when somebody uses a Texan accent when their character is from Mississippi. And she's doing a terrible job of it. She, to me, did not sound recognizably Capetonian at all. She, I mean, like, there were moments, I wrote down some of the ones where I was like, and actually maybe we can use the audio of this too. There's one speech that she gives where I'm like, oh, that line is correct. All credibility. Right. And, and then I'm like, you've gone Australian. <laughs> Saving lives is a serious mission. For that matter, every single human interaction that changes things is. Right. Or, or Kiwi, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like... I just like that we got one sentence into the plot. <laughs> I know! So let me just do the plot very quickly. Okay. Very quickly. Yeah. Charlize is the daughter of a Doctors Without Border style conflict doctor, and she never sees her father very often, except for outside of conflict zones, so very intermittently. And this has shaped her entire life so that she now is the administrator that runs a Doctors Without Borders type of organization. And at some point, she is stopping in Morovia to check on their organization and also because they're pulling out because the conflict has gotten too brutal for them to stay. Her young cousin is there. She meets Dr. Leon, played by Javier Bardem. They quickly fall in love and start boning. Allegedly. They, impossibly. They go for the border. They're stopped by raiders. They take children on their back and carry them through the jungle until they reach a refugee camp. And then she says, as the director of the program, that they are going to stay at the refugee camp. And this is where their romance blossoms. And the story is told partially in flashback that this has happened in the past. The 2003 flashback. And it is framed with, it opens with the two of them talking and she's about to give a speech at a dinner for donors. And he's like, I'm not going to come with you. And essentially we're led to believe that there's a dichotomy that like he's a real frontier and war conflict doctor and she just doesn't have what it takes to really do that. Right. Conflicts continue to follow them. They leave or no, they stay in that refugee camp the whole time. Correct? Correct. It's a little confusing because there's also, like we said, the section in South Sudan and that at first I thought that that was a third timeline, but it's actually right before. Correct. Yeah. The speech timeline so it's it, like Javier it's, Bardem has been in the South Sudan for these paths and the they're flashing back to what happened with them 10 years ago right 
it all happens in a seemingly random order. Yeah. You can barely tell what's past, present, or future. It's they, very jumbled. I, I longed for, like, traffic's really intense color yes, filters. That like, been great. something to help me out and figure out where they are. So, the conflict happens continually between them and around them. Like, basically, the climax of the movie is finding out what tore them apart. You essentially find out that they've been apart for ten years. And there's a scene where they are operating on people who've been attacked by raiders and Charlize is like cracking under the pressure of having to do this and how futile it feels to help people in under these circumstances and then she decides to stick with it I guess it's a little confusing as to what her decision is then all of a sudden all the patients leave at night and new raiders come and essentially torture the doctors by forcing one of the doctor's son they give him a gun and like kill your dad and the child instead of killing his dad kills himself and then the raiders leave, and then they all get into the van and leave, but Javier Bardem does not come with them, and that's basically the last time you're led to believe that she ever sees him. She leaves the refugee camp and leaves, I guess? She's done with being in the front lines. Correct. She, before she had met him, was not a... She had been a doctor, but she had stopped practicing and was doing all the fundraising things. Right. Basically, like, he comes to see her one last time. They have a torturous, like, but we can't be together because you seek these situations out and I want you to not do that, but I do want you to do that. It's very confusing as to what either of them wants from the other person. Everything is very muddled and then they part ways and she finds out that he has died because his helicopter that was rescuing women and children was shot down and he was killed. And then she gives a speech to continue to raise funds for Unstoppable Conflict. Is that pretty, pretty much it, yeah. I think she gives the speech and then finds out he dies, regardless. Sure. Yeah, the timeline is all over. Yeah, the it's exactly. Who knows? Who right, knows when exactly. anything happens in yeah, this movie? Just before she was she was about to give the speech, they were together, so mm-hmm. that's he presumably dies much further into the future. Or I honestly thought or maybe thought it was, it was like, like you know, Poochie yeah. died on the way back to his home planet kind of thing. Right, yeah, it could have been. But uh, yeah, like th- there's maybe one or two compelling snippets of ideas in this movie, and there is, I think, one compelling scene, which is after they get they get carjacked and then they trek through the jungle, which then culminates in their romance. That's like the, the scene with the C section. Yes. Okay. Oh, I so, hated that. So I hate I hated that section of that scene, but that whole like trekking through the jungle, uh, like at least they had an objective and mm. like they were on their way to go somewhere. It ended in them being romantically involved. That's the only thing that had any kind of trajectory in it at I all. I didn't care about that See, part. See, I yeah. will say there's a scene in that where, so they are trekking through the jungle. They could be attacked at any moment. They have just performed emergency surgery on a woman who'd been attacked with a machete and was pregnant. They didn't have any of the proper equipment or sedatives. So like everything is... They use a bottle of bourbon to correct. sterilize everything. And like they remove the baby from her insides with their bare hands because they don't have any gloves. So anyway, all this has just happened, and the two of them are talking, and then he leans in to kiss Charlize, and she stops him, and is basically like, the fuck is wrong with you right, right. now? And that's how I feel about this movie. That it's right. leaning in, and it's basically agree. like, hey, we want to talk about these really important issues. And I'm like, excuse me, you're not doing this the way that it needs to be done. I don't know, I feel awkward being like, I'm picking apart this movie for the way that it's telling a story. Why do you feel awkward about that? Isn't that what we do on this podcast? <laughs> it's true, but I also feel like like this movie is sort of like talking about the futility of helping in the face of... Well, yeah, so that's one of the things that I thought was interesting was when he was like, there is no solution. Like, yeah. we just do what we can because we can. Right. And then the other thing I thought was interesting was the tail end of some narration where she's like, 
needing to be needed was the driving force. Like that's why they rush into conflict zones and abandon what is a currently stable situation. Right. They rush into the where the things are worse because the doctors need to be needed. It's almost like a selfish act. So I saw the movie Mother this week, mm-hmm. and I assume you guys have not seen it. Nope. Okay. So I don't want to, you know, derail us too much, but it just, let me say it really strongly influenced the way I watched this movie for two reasons. Mm -hmm. The first is that Javier Bardem is in it. Right. And there were some, you know, very abstract similarities between the characters. And Mm -hmm. I, I was focused on that more than I would have been otherwise, but the needing to be needed thing is exactly, exactly what it was. (laughs) And the second thing was that, a lot of people have criticized, in, including friend of the podcast, Sean Collier, mm. Mother, for containing incredibly shocking, disturbing material that has no purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is how I felt about this film. Yes. Yeah, I feel like this film wants you to use their romance as a way to feel an emotional connection to a place that it presumes that you could otherwise not have sympathy for. Right. Which I find to be a sort of horrifying way to do that. That's and why that the it, title card is such is so bewildering to me. It's yeah. like, first of all, I literally didn't understand. I had no idea what it meant. But the right. way that you guys described it, I'm like, I buy it. Yeah. So then is it like a funny games kind of situation where they're like, how dare you like this movie? No, I don't think so. Because, yeah. trust me, I don't like this movie. Right. Yeah, I don't know what the point of this is. Like, it, it's so convoluted and pretentious. One of the things that I think is, I find really odd about it is that it's shot in using almost exclusively with tilt-shift lenses. So let's talk about what that means for the civilians. Okay, so a tilt-shift lens is a way of articulating a lens so that the only a small sliver of the frame is in focus. Right, and it's like, it's very linear. What yes. is in focus? Yeah, and so and it, it can be used to give like amazing depth to an image. So you can make something that look, but otherwise have very uh, very wide focus, or very deep focus, have very narrow focus. So there were a couple moments where I understood what he was going for there, which mm-hmm. like when Javier Bardem sees Charlie's on the street in the present day timeline, mm-hmm. I liked the idea of like the only thing he's focused on is her; everything right. else is a blur. But that's only one shot in the movie, and it's used all over the place. I feel I just, like it's the movie's perspective, frankly, like on well, what the I was, white people. I mean, what I was going to say is a tilt-shift lens can be used to give depth, but in this case, it doesn't. It's used extremely badly, because what it does, it just blurs the side without any depth whatsoever. It's just a very flat blur, yeah. which I feel is representative and metaphorically describes what the fuck this movie is like. So just that's why I'm starting. Blur. I'm just starting to wonder: like, is this whole movie a commentary on shitty movies like this? <laughs> I don't <laughs> could think. Be. So. I don't think so either. I don't yeah. trust Sean Penn to do that. Yeah. I also am like. It also like, failed. It failed. I don't yeah. think that's necessary. I I would be vaguely interested in that because I am so frustrated by the tropes of white heroes. The white people come in and they save the day and the black people are the background. I hate that. Yes, I agree, but I guess I'd be like, you know what I would rather see than lampooning of or satirizing white An people? actual, right. An yes. actual movie about black Africans, hopefully made by black Africans, starring black Africans, dealing with black Africans as actual human beings and not as sadness porn. Correct. 
Like, I, I, I basically, like, I'm just like, I just feel like satire would just be further indulgence of, like, ah, I'm in on something as opposed to, I don't know, effective. Right. I left this movie feeling incredibly bleak because children soldiers, very bleak. Like, it's right. really, like, the things that are sad in this movie are devastating. Right. And so I guess the thing I was trying to say before is, like, okay, like, I feel devastated that that is true. And my response is, like, you didn't tell the story the right way. So that just makes me feel, oh. like, not up to the task. And I feel like the movie is very focused on Charlie's feeling not equipped to be a doctor in those situations. Like, she feels like she doesn't have the skill set. How odd for an artist to make that comment, though. Like, you don't have the skill set to do this. I also think that this movie had a gendered perception of what is necessary I for conflict. Agree. Like, I, so Charlize is very fixated on her father is able to do this, and her whole life is sort of directed by her father's absence and by her father's, like, altruism and goodness. The only thing she really says about her mother is in relation she to her father, is that she had affairs. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of like that women lack this sort of moral fortitude to do what is necessary, and because that they, because of their own needs that they're not able to be like this large selfless character like her father was and that Javier Bardem is able to like be in the moment and be that doctor but that she like can't do it and I feel like they're also pointing out that she can't do it because she's focused on fundraising and like hobnobbing with rich people who would have no understanding of what it's like for the people there and there is a scene where there's not enough blood in the camp to save six people. So he's like, well, you pick which one is going to live. Because if we give everyone one packet of blood, everyone's going to die. So only one person can live. And I felt like, hmm, if only someone had raised enough funds that you could have more equipment. Like, I right. know that there is a problem with, like, wealthy donors and the philanthropy system. Like, I, I agree. And like, Sean Penn, you made a movie, right? You made a movie. How dare you judge someone for working in the philanthropy system as opposed to being on the ground when you're only dealing with ideas? Although, I don't know very much about Sean Penn, but he has raised a ton of money for like Haitian relief. So he does exactly. do a lot of fundraising. Right. But exactly. He should not be criticizing fundraising. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I wish that they had given, Charlize's character is so flat here. I wish they had yeah. given her a voice. So much of it is Javier Bardem berating her. Correct. And there's one scene where he says like, you want to go home because you want to take a bath or you want them to take a bath. It's so infuriating to think that the only reason that she could not feel comfortable in this situation where she is constantly under threat of death and not actually achieving that much when she knows that she is good at fundraising and organizing is vanity. I'm like, what do you want from this movie? Yeah, you can't follow any individual character's arc because it's all in random order. You don't really know where the movie starts or ends. There's no real conclusion Everything is its just a completely pointless waste of two hours. Right, like, I'm like, is this a documentary meant to, like, inspire people to, to contribute or to be aware of something? Is it educational? Are we supposed to know more about the experiences of, like, child soldiers or doctors in war zones? Like, I don't think it achieves either of those aims. I agree. It sort of inserts them every now and again. Are we supposed to learn more about the AIDS crisis? Because at some point we find oh, out... Oh, gosh. This what scene, a, this, it's like a... a 40 second subplot about AIDS. <laughs> yes. Basically, while they're at the camp and they're having their idyllic moment of romance, her cousin, who we had met earlier when they were shutting down the original clinic, arrives and is all distraught. And she's basically like, so the two of you guys are fucking now, right? And they're like, yeah, totally. And she's like, by the way, I guess he never told you. I've been with him for the past year. I was in love with him. Also, by the way, I'm HIV positive. 
And so Charlize is all upset that he never said this to her, and also that they might also have HIV. So we see them get blood tested, but they're fine, and that's the end of it. And there's a scene afterwards (laughs) where, like, Charlize is sad because he lied to her, and she's basically, like, doubting the veracity of his feelings for her, that he could move so quickly from one person to the other. Which I think is particularly troubling for her because he is constantly judging her. Correct? (laughs) So she's like, oh, wow, this guy makes me feel worthless, and it turns out that he hasn't been honest, and he might have given me HIV. And his response to this is to be like, I don't understand why you're so upset. I'm going to take you on a drive, and when you get out because you're mad about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, because they play a lot of oh, Red gosh, Hot Chili Peppers God, in like this. I've, like, Constantly. I've that out. Yeah, so she's, like, stomping around next to the car mad. She's and then, upset because a close read of the lyrics of the song Other Side, which she plays over and over again, and there's a cello cover and a piano cover and all this <laughs> stuff, reminds her of his philandering. Correct. And when she is really mad, he teases her and is like, there could be snakes out there. So he doesn't have any sympathy that she could be upset, nor does he turn the song off. And then she comes back to the car and he holds her neck in the car window by rolling the window up so that it's on her throat and continues to drive as if he's the older brother from the fucking Wonder Years turned into a sadist. Which could literally kill her. Correct. And she shouts, this is so dangerous. And he is laughing like, I don't understand why you're so upset. The worst thing about that horrifying scene is that You remember in the movie Mulan when they're singing A Girl Worth Fighting For and it's like at the very end you think they're going to have the little trill where they're like, what do we want? A girl worth fighting! And then you see all their faces fall and then they turn around and you see that they've destroyed a village. The bad guys have destroyed a village. This is that scene in this movie because they stop the car, she's still trapped, and she's like, what is it? What is it? And it's that... They've destroyed the village. Right. Which we learn because we see someone's entrails ripped out as if it is uh, a police line. Yeah. 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 So that was the very moment when I was like, oh, this is how other people felt watching Mother. Like, this is grotesque and I'm not actually getting anything of how grotesque this is. And it particularly bothered me in this movie because all of the people suffering are black Africans and the focus of the movie is two white people. Correct. And they're not given any real characters. We don't learn anything about their lives except for that they're in pain and there's a lot of close-ups of them crying but not speaking. And I have a problem with that. Yeah. Okay. There's one scene in, in the South Sudan part where Sean Penn's son, Barf, is in this movie. Oh my god, this is the thing. Hopper Penn. And, you know, it's the scene in these movies where, like, oh, they still love life, and they show them dancing around a fire. We just have to play this. You have to hear this. You know that girl I was dancing with? She watched her sister get raped until she died. She was raped also. I mean, they, they ripped her from her vagina to her anus. But... I mean, she's here, dancing, with me. I mean, like, she, she leaks urine, but she, she's dancing. I mean, she's, she's beautiful. Why are we hearing a white man dealing with that? And he delivers it with such a flat, barely wonder-filled affect. He's just like, hey, this is happening, and this horrible thing happened. Yeah. And she's still dancing. She's still dancing. Shut the fuck up, dude. Oh, I hated it. My skin crawled so much. My, I, that was the moment when I wrote down, you know what, this, all right, we'll get there. Um, 
So, oh my god. So the other thing I really wanted to talk about that ignoring the like fundamental racism the love story here is so fundamentally broken and hollow that if that's what the credits or what the title card means at the beginning that the only way we can access this is through a love story then why not tell a real love story right i also don't understand it makes a big deal about how the love is impossible it seems incredibly straightforward the foundation of their relationship seems to be, you know, remember in Speed when Sandra Bullock <laughs> says, like, I've heard that relationships based on intense experiences never last. Like, that's what's going on with them, is yeah. that they're, like, turning to each other for comfort and to, like, express their emotions through fucking. They're also two good-looking people. You know, they do that a lot. Emotional connection forms. But it never seems that meaningful, nope. right? He does not like her. And here's the thing, like, I think that Javier Bardem and, I don't know if you guys know this, but I think Charlize Theron is a phenomenal actress. They're both great. And They're both they, terrible here. They are so bored. There's a moment at the end of the movie where Charlize is giving the speech and she's basically a glamorous movie star with a wonky accent. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that's like a totally different person. And it felt like the only time in the movie where it was like a window to like the actual Charlize that I'm familiar with like work. Like, the rest of them, I'm just like, they just seemed, like, I feel like she did a lot of the, the crying that we've seen. There were some red-rimmed eyes. A lot of those. A yep. lot of that. Very intense. They constantly, like, made her go into a corner and put her forearms up in front of her face and have blood everywhere. And I just, I felt like the lackluster a connection between the two of them that's supposed to be our through line for the entire movie, I just... So it made me think about Casablanca, which is, I've said, I think I've said before, my favorite movie. The idea of looking at a horrible world event through the lens of two people in love is incredibly compelling to me. This movie just ridiculously failed in that <laughs> respect. I, I don't think that this movie, if the love story had been pure and true, maybe it would have been a guilty pleasure along the lines of Head in the Clouds. But it really doesn't work mm. at all. He doesn't like her. He's actively mean to her. And then in the modern day plot line, he is the one who sees her on the street and is like, I need to have you back. She leaves there in Geneva and she leaves a week early to get away from him because he shows up at her door and won't leave when she tells him to. So she's like, assistant, poor Merritt Weaver, book me a flight to Cape Town tomorrow. She does it. She goes, she goes back to her old wine farm where apparently the only people who live there are the employees and they treat her. They are their, her servant for a couple days and some meaningless conversations happen, but you get to hear Charlie speak in Afrikaans, which is kind of nice. Anyway, and then he shows up there. He's basically literally in her bedroom. Right. He's basically stalking her. And hasn't spoken to her in 10 years. And then I guess before she goes to Cape Town, there is my Charlie Zenith, which is, she is like, get away from me. Is it and, in the parking lot? Yes. And also she's my like, Charlie Zenith. And she says to him, you know, he's like, I love you. And she says, you don't know me. It's been 10 years. I'm a different person. That's what happens. And she was also like, you, that she was very firm about him never really knowing her. Right. Because he did it. When he like breaks into her bedroom, of course they get together and they have, they their, like, like immediately have sex. They have like their final moment and it's sort of like they're hiding from the world and from themselves just to be alone together. And at some point they have a very convoluted conversation where he's like, what's the story that you're telling yourself? 
about what's happening. And she asks him and he's like, I want you to come back with me. Like, I want the person that I think you are, which is the person that I met under intense circumstances. And I want you to give up everything else and be what I think is a model of a good person and the person I want to be with. What are you thinking, Charlize? And she's like, I want you to be who you are and go live your life. Right. That's it. Like, she's just like, I see reality. We're different people. We don't know each other. Like, whether or not we have this connection, like, you are who you are. But also, I want you to be that. And he's just like, I want what I want, which is you to do what I think you should do. And we're supposed to be sad about this? Like, I just, I think we're supposed to feel like she made the wrong decision. There's a shot of her sitting alone at her desk that slowly, like, pans out. And her assistant is crying over Dr. Leon dying. And she's sitting there, like, stony face. And I think we're supposed to be like, well, that's what happened to her. What a shame. She reminded me in those scenes of Meredith Vickers in Prometheus. And it's like she's playing different characters throughout She kept reminding me of different actresses. I was like, oh, she reminds me of Nicole Kidman today. Or (laughs) she reminds me of Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, she just kept cycling from different actresses. Like, never really being very Charlize-y. It was an unfocused performance, which is appropriate for an unfocused movie. It felt like the movie was basically saying, isn't war inconvenient for people falling in love? There is a man whose son committed suicide in front of him. And he's barely a character. He's barely a character. And all we know about it is that that's the divisive event that split them apart. Right. That the child that was not their child that they were connected to, like, that was the ramifications of that moment. Let's talk for one second, though, about the, the very end and what the title means. I, I just had a thought. Maybe the uh, mumbling title card was written by the Red Hot Chili Peppers because it has similar <laughs> linguistic qualities. <laughs> uh, predictive text or Anthony Kiedis. <laughs> okay, so she finally reads the letter. So basically what he says is, the way that I know that I love you is because I know I'll see you again. And I'll tell you when I'll see you again. It's when I die. Because when you die, the last face you see is the person you love the most. And then they show a shot of, I don't know. You no. see him, like, you see him in a deserty scrub. And he, he says, like, when I'm in the desert, I'm going to look out. He didn't say anything about, like, when I'm dying. Yeah, he just said, like, next either. time I'm in the desert, I'm going to look up and I'm going to see your face. Oh, I seriously thought it was and when he's dying. I think yeah, that's, that's probably what you meant, but I didn't get that at all. Okay. In fact, I actually showed it at the screen because he's describing, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to see a face, and it's going to be your face. And I'm like, that's not a time. You said right. when you're going to see him, and I mean, you didn't I, say when. I also, guess how would it be the last dying. face? Right. So, But yeah. they show him, and then they show flashes of another person's face. Yes. yes. Who, a, did, a woman crying, and I don't know if it's the woman who... A had, black woman crying. Yes. I don't know if it's the woman who gave birth, who had the C-section. I don't, I don't know, and so. frankly, I, I thought about trying to, like, backtrack and figure out who it was, but life is short, and I couldn't spend another second watching this horrible movie. (laughs) It was a quick flash, and then it cut to Charlize's face. Right. So, we should talk about the dialogue in this movie, because among other things that are hard to follow, the dialogue almost never makes any any significant speech is just mumblecore bullshit. Yes. It's the only movie I've ever watched that has the word propinquity in it. I wrote that down! (laughs) (laughs) I was like, alright, I get it, screenwriter. Y'all, like, went to school. Like, what? Yeah, there's a lot of, like, gibberish uh, narration that sounds like it's written by Russell Brand using words like propinquity. This is what I'm like, I have to go back to my notes because I wrote down so many things. So, I think children spell love... Oh my god, we stopped the movie at this point, because Reg's like, uh, I have to make a note. 
because that was the that I, I was going to culminate in this description because that is the most gibberish bullshit. <laughs> I'll, I'll ever do heard. Whole okay, spiel. go through your whole spiel. I'm sorry. So, but like, you can't tell what the fuck they're talking about, and like, so, like there there's a couple of like individual lines that come out well, but like, it's a movie full of dialogue. Of course, some of the lines are good. So it's it, it just it's mumble core bullshit, and you, also sometimes you can't tell what they're saying because you can't hear it. It's very... There's a lot of extremes of volume. But... I wasn't sure, again, that was one of those things where I'm like, do I need to check my sound system? Right, because yeah. I keep being upset by these movies' sound balance. So yeah. I'm glad to hear it was not oh, no. just me. It was terrible. But then there was the scene, which is in my favorite scene, which is the trekking through the jungle scene. After the C-section and after he's tried to kiss her, they're sat like, they're, or they're lying, like, facing each other and having this what apparently intense philosophical conversation, Charlie says verbatim, I think children spell love. T-I-M-E. And I knew, as soon as she said T, I knew what she was going to say, but it doesn't make any sense. No, it makes no sense. meaningless bullshit. Do you have an explanation of it? I have an interpretation. I mean, I think it's about her daddy issues. Yes. So I think they're they're having a conversation and she's talking about how her father was always away and how that like shaped her whole life. And I think she's saying like, as a child, the only way that you can feel love is to have time with someone. And the absence of her father being there meant that she didn't feel love. Which is too much necessary reading into a very terrible... And also delivered terribly. The pauses are even longer than Bob made Oh yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, I was being polite. I think, I mean, I think that's what they're getting. Oh, that's what I thought too. Okay, but what a ridiculous thing no human being would ever say. Also, pause for one second. She also then later is like, uh, yeah, Dr. Leon here was an orphan who was raised in the state, so I guess that's why he could be this way, because his parents didn't fuck him up. That's what she's driving up to her wine farm. I, I feel like this whole movie's preoccupation with how your parents' choices predetermine you to be X, Y, or Z felt old to me. Like, yeah. this felt like a, a preoccupation with, like, therapy and determinism that felt more like 80s filmmaking Going to back to the oddball theory that this movie is a self-parody... Your parents determining your lot in life, casting your son as an actor in your movie. Uh, How about the scene with the rocks in the bowl? Wait, wait, before we get there, can I just say what my note was? Yes. (laughs) Children are terrible spellers. (laughs) (laughs) So the rocks in the bowl thing, that is like a well-trodden anecdote. I don't, I have not experienced this. Oh, you've never heard this before? You've never heard that before? No. Oh my god, I've heard it a million times. What does it mean? Charlize has a glass bowl and she puts three large rocks in it. She says, this is safety, security, or no, it's it's stability, like food and shelter. Like it's basically like the- Fundamental needs. Fundamental needs. I missed that part. This might have helped me. So she was basically like, so these are your fundamental needs. Everyone in the classroom, would you say the the bowl is now full because the bowl is full of these giant rocks? And everyone's like, yeah. And then she pulls out a picture of Sam. And everyone's like, nah, you got us. And she pours it in because obviously there's still space for the sand. And then she fills that to the top. And she's like, okay, like now would everyone say that it's full? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's definitely full. And then she pulls out a pitcher of water and then pours that in. And then she's like, okay, so like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And the first student says, there's, there's always, always more room, room in the bowl. There's always more room. And the second student says, if you don't put the rocks in first, you can't put everything else in. So because that's if like you put, that's describing her worldview of philanthropism and Javier Bardem's. To some extent. But I have no idea the context that that scene is presented. Is she a teacher? 
Mm-hmm. What is she teaching? What class is this? Like, I thought she, I thought taught she was in medical visiting. school because she was a non-practicing doctor. So but I thought, those kids were like sixteen. Oh. So yeah, I couldn't tell. Like I've that's an incredibly cliched anecdote that I've heard told a thousand different ways. I feel like I got that like forwarded to me in a chain email right. like, in high school. Like, yeah. Hey, guys, this is gonna I open your eyes. Like I'm positive I read this with clip art involved. <laughs> right. It, it's the kind of thing that is told in meme form now. I don't get it. Yeah, I still don't get it. <laughs> the, the, the text version makes more sense, but it's still just as cliche. Okay. So, all right. We have talked about how the romance is very flat, but I must say that there was one scene in this movie that I was like, you know what? I'm charmed by this. Toothbrushing. Correct. The next day after she's like, what's wrong with you? Why did you try to kiss me? She tries to apologize to him. She's like, I overreacted, and he laughs it off. And he's like, you just didn't want to kiss me without brushing your teeth first. And then they continue their trek through the jungle. And then later, when they get to the refugee camp, she's like, hey, we're all staying. And he's like, we? And she, like, closes up the tent, and they, like, awkwardly stare at each other like they don't know how to jump each other's bones. And then Javier Bardem, like, gives her a toothbrush. And then he has a toothbrush. And then they brush their teeth, and not in a, like, I'm gonna fuck you kind of way. No, it's really silly and goofy. It's very silly, and it's unguarded. And I feel like that's a thing that I like about actual intimacy with humans, not on screen, is, like, the... the Silliness. Yeah, and that that is realistic. And I was like, oh, like, what a nice scene, a thing that I have not seen in movies before, necessarily, like, that particular setup. What about in Bring It On? Doesn't that happen in Bring It On? I don't. Never seen it. I'm pretty sure that the same scene happens in Bring It On. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just just mean, like, I was just like, okay, like, this is a cute, this is a cute way of being like, there's going to be sexual tension, but we're, like, deflating it, but also building up. It's like, they're being goofy, but they're both like, and when we're done brushing teeth, we're going to knock some boots. Yeah. And then immediately thereafter, when they start to kiss... Like, she, like, bumps into a table and they spill everything over the floor. That's the universal symbol for passion, is knocking uh, over a table. And I was just like, oh, it's such a it's such a shorthand and such a cliche, and I feel like this movie is chock full of them. There's also a scene when there are raiders coming, everything is lit in red light, and I'm just like, oh. I... Look, full disclosure, I have a really long rant in my life about red light in theater being used for rape scenes and murder scenes. It never needs to happen again. Your lighting designer is shit if that's the only thing they can think of. Stop using red light! It doesn't make any sense. I already get that it's a terrifying moment. There are a bunch of people with machine guns who want to kill everybody. That's enough of a signifier. Tell your story. Stop putting all the trappings in such a shitty form. Anyway... Uh, toothbrushing was cute, though. Yeah. So that, that is the culmination of my favorite part of the movie. And it's the only time when Charlize has any range at all in That's this. my Charlize Zenith, is the toothbrushing. Uh, that was my runner-up. Yeah, same here. So, guys, I don't even know how to approach our features. I don't either. Like, so, I'm, I'm kind of like, is it? should we even do them? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> Bob's like, I got this, guys. So I was thinking about Prison Riot, and I was like, I don't... I, I don't I need any more human misery. No but Prison Riot. No, here's the thing. A prison riot would not go amiss because it would be another compelling scene with a clear objective. There would be something Where going is on. The prison? And, and who is in prison? So here's the thing: it doesn't matter. I thought about this too. I was like, "How do you shoehorn this in?" But it's like all the scenes are in a random order with no context anyway. It, there could be a, there's a Maybe ten it could be year a flashback gap. about something her father did. Yeah, there's a ten year gap in their relationship. Just insert it into that. It doesn't yeah. matter. I'm still gonna vote no because I don't need any more human misery. Well, it depends on what the prison is and what's going on. But I, I was just like, what so- do you think, Regina? I'm sorry, Bob Shields. I don't mean to outvote you, but I'm just like, the movie just, I'm just, honestly, like, I love the movie and I was just like, I feel so sad about the world. 
world that I'm like, I just don't want to think about people being imprisoned. Yeah, um, that's exactly where I, I am. don't want to think yep. about them hurting each other. And I it like really... makes me feel guilty that I enjoy prison riot scenes in normal movies so much. Again, maybe this is a funny game situation. I don't think it is. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> so what are we doing with Keanu? Because this is a situation for me where I'm like, I don't want you to be in this terrible movie. Okay, I've got my answer. Okay, I, I did come up with one eventually. Okay. What is your answer? This is a dodge, but what I would like is for Keanu to hold the title card at the beginning, Bob Dylan style, <laughs> <laughs> and drop them because I want to see his face being like, don't. <laughs> Don't watch the rest of this movie. My eyes are saying, stop. And the title card is also saying, you don't need to see this. You know that it's crap. So that's where I'm putting Keanu as Bob Dylan. You want Keanu to use a highlight to draw the outline of Africa while we read the title card? Yes, I do. That is where I want Keanu, not within the storyline and as as an omen for do do something better. So my Keanu placement was because uh, I didn't. I was like, I would, he could replace Javier Bardem, but it seems too obvious, and I don't want him to be in this movie too much. Um, so I would have him be one of the guys in the boardroom at the beginning, where yeah, when the who, UN. yeah, who like gives her permission to rewrite the press release begrudgingly but charmingly. So like, mm-hmm. okay, fine, we'll do it like this. So, also, I do want to say, though, I don't think that Keanu could play the Javier Bardem role. I, I agree, actually. I think Javier really? Bardem, even though he's phoning it in hard, is well cast in it. Like, he could have done a good job. I don't think movie. that Keanu would have accomplished, maybe I don't want this, but Keanu would not have accomplished what Javier Bardem did with making Dr. Leon kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, really, what I do want is for this to be a genuine love story. So, maybe... But I don't want Keanu in this movie. It's a piece of trash. So, there is one good thing that came out of this movie. A lot of times when things film in Cape Town, and they do a lot, they have really good tax credits there. When actors come there, I think they often treat it also as a vacation, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're in a place in the world that's beautiful and wonderful to visit that they might not have gone to because it's so far away. So, one of my friends when I lived in Cape Town, Blia, practiced yoga in the fancy yoga studio <laughs> that's sort of in, uh, I think, Greenpoint. It's between Seapoint and the CBD. And one day, she told me, you'll never guess who was in the studio with me today. Oh my gosh, who? And she said, well, actually, it was several people. It was Charlize Theron, mm-hmm. Penelope Cruz, mm-hmm. and Javier Bardem. Because <laughs> Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem are married. I was like, oh my gosh, tell me everything. <laughs> what does Charlize <laughs> look like doing yoga? And I wasn't even as obsessed with her as I am now because Furiosa didn't exist yet. Right. Was like, I need to know. <laughs> and she said, she's like the sweetest woman in the world, Leah. And she says, well... Penelope is the newest to the practice. <laughs> you heard it here first. Penelope Cruz sucks at yoga. <laughs> or at least she well, did. Compared to Charlie Theron and Javier Bardem in her and most of Blia. She was like, oh, you adorable little yoga doing child. And then they all went to the fun shop that is in the same building as the yoga studio and Penelope got two pieces. <laughs> so that charming celebrity encounter anecdote is, I think, my favorite thing that happened because of this movie. So to say that I would like Keanu, I don't know if he's been to Cape Town. I would love him to have a visit there and maybe get dinner with his lovely friend Charlize. They could go to Test Kitchen. I don't know. <laughs> and so I decided that Keanu should be one of the extras in the scene where she's giving her speech. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> 
So he has a reason to go there and the studio will pay for it or whoever the funders. I guess this isn't a studio movie. Yep. We should Keanu say in the background. That speech is not a good speech. No. So let's rank this turd. Are there any other segments? I, Ebert was no longer with us, thank goodness. Oh, I did. I So I was curious, like, what people had to say about it. And I think it was The Guardian had an amazing first line. So I'm going to pull that up real quick. Okay, great. Tell the name of the critic, too. Uh, Charlize Theron and Javier Bardem give career worst performances as doctors <laughs> falling in love in West Africa while black characters are relegated to the background. That's exactly what this movie is. That's yep. a really... I love film critics. Yep. You're so good at what you do. <laughs> and, uh, so the critic is Benjamin Lee. Good job. Good yeah. job, sir. You are correct. Sir. All right, I'm going to start with the ranking. So remember when Regina put 15 minutes under Children of the Corn 3? Urban and, Harvest. And Urban Harvest. And I was like, I feel bad that I'm the only one who doesn't have something below <laughs> Children of the Core 3, Urban Harvest. Well, guess what, guys? I do now. Oh, yeah. This movie is the worst. <laughs> it is the worst. It is the worst. So it is the bottom ranked movie for me thus far. And I pray to God that I never <laughs> have to see a worse movie than this. Wow. Uh, so you're going to hate my ranking. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> my ranking, I'm doing this pretty much tied with Head in the Clouds. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly for flimsy, pretentious bullshit reasons. But it only just, just pips it out. Like, it's just slightly above Head in the Clouds. Because I'm a sucker for, like, sweaty jungle travel movies. I just like that aesthetic. So the fact that it looks nice in that kind of way just puts it in in between Head in the Clouds and Eon Flux. So I will say that I am going to remain calm and not feel personally insulted by Bob Shields right now because (laughs) the whole thing that we say about the Prometheus chair is because I like Prometheus, which is his movie that's below Children of the Corn 3 for the Harvest. I feel like I want to, like, my one sound review was just like, I just... I feel ill-equipped to be a person who comes out against this movie in some ways. Like, it just feels like such so momentous a task. And it is not at my very, very bottom. And I think there might be a reason for that, which is uh, the last two movies I have woken up and first thing Saturday morning watched them. And this is, let's be honest, as far from Saturday morning cartoons as you could possibly get. Yes. (laughs) But I think there's an element of, like, just starting my day with a movie that puts me in a sort of, like, dopey position that makes me less filled with rage when I watch it. So this is not my dead bottom, all that to say. I am putting it below Head in the Clouds um, as well, which is very, very low for me. So for me, my bottom now is Head in the Clouds, The Last Face, The Cider House Rules, Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, and 15 Minutes. And I feel a little bad that I hate 15 Minutes more than this movie, but I hate that movie as a movie, and I hate this movie for things outside of the movie. You also hate it for the movie, though, right? Yeah. It's terribly made. Yeah. Where's a giant gorilla when you need one? Right? So yeah. I did Guys, wanna... Charlie's canon is wise. Yes. <laughs> so I did want to quickly say that one of our listeners tweeted at us, like, would you please tell us what movie you're watching next week so we can watch along? And we think that's a great idea. But as our Twitter responded, we usually decide last minute. But I think that maybe we should start... We can do advance notice. Like, we are literally recording right now. We don't know what we're going to do next week. But we'll try to tweet out advance notice in the future. So thank you for that suggestion. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah. So in the words of Roger Ebert, because we didn't have an Ebert or Mebert, I do want to say that 
I hated, hated, hated this movie, <laughs> which is the title of one of his books, a collection of his lowest reviews. He also has okay. a sequel book called Your Movie Sucks. Highly recommend you read both of those. <laughs> I could never be as articulate about how much I hated this movie as he could. I'm glad he never had to watch it. I wish he had been able to express how terrible it is, but it's nice to know that uh, other critics have carried the torch for him. Guys, thanks for listening. I hope that this was not horrible to listen to because we're also down on this movie and also on the world that would produce this subject matter. So thank you to Alex Reed for yeah. amazing theme music. Thank you to you guys for listening. Thank you for all the hearts on Instagram. I love Robin's Photoshop skills uh, so much. You really peaked with the last one. That I was pretty happy with that. Every time it fills my heart with such <laughs> joy. Sometimes when I'm having a bad day, I just look at the account and I'm like, we're funny. <laughs> so most importantly... Thank, Thank you, Charlie. Charlie. Thank you, Charlie's for your next movie. I hope your heart was stirred by the Theronathon, and that your kitties purred at the Theronathon. Your curiosity spurred by the Theronathon. You're turning into a nerd for the Theronathon. And if you flip in the won an Oscar for Mystic River. Mystic River. Oh, yeah. I am very resentful We of that will Oscar. always hate that movie because Bill Murray was robbed. Because Bill Murray should have won his Oscar then. <laughs> oh, the old Murrah. I think children spell love. I. Mm-hmm.